Hey guys, Andre Harrison back at it once again with episode 21 of the Motorsport 101 podcast here from a surprisingly bright and sunny London, England here as we get down for what's going to be another marathon episode talking about a lot of things in motorsport, some powered by petrol, some by electric and some in packs because that's the trend these days. Um, with me is my esteemed co-host, as always, Mr. Ryan King. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. It's and, always fun. <laughs> and I, I hear some congratulations are in order as the women's national team has, has come back to New, it's come back to was it Los Angeles with the women's World Cup? Yes, the first in sixteen years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's frozen over. Like you'd think the American football team, who have you know long been publicized for many many years, would have won more than one in the last 16 years but hey <laughs> at least they got this one in a 5-2 thumping of Japan and uh, Carly Lloyd who I think pretty much now owns the Wheaty Box for all of eternity get Anthony Pettis off that thing <laughs> immediately <laughs> <laughs> quickest hat trick in women's world cup history only hat trick in the final ever <laughs> yep simply put as my brother said Carly Lloyd's a bad bitch so to speak <laughs> Um, so yeah, congratulations to the United States. I, I I still want my Alex Morgan jersey as a birthday present, King. Can we, can we make this happen? <laughs> yeah, it's like I know um upper upper ninety. It's basically a local chain of soccer shops here in New York City already started selling the women's jerseys with the three stars on them. Ooh, how much did that cost you? Oh, <laughs> uh, I haven't gotten mine yet. I'm definitely getting the Megan Klingenberg jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Running story here from from a little bit of our off scene moments. Uh, he's a huge Megan fan. Um, so much so he'll probably be taking judo next, this time next week. <laughs> Look really, really out of place somewhere in a all girls judo class. Brian King will be there because May. <laughs> like I said. How much is that? Go- How much are they going to cost? I'm actually seriously considering picking an Alex Morgan one up. <laughs> um, I'd have to check the price. I don't know. I'm I'm afraid to look how expensive that they would be. <laughs> it can't it can't be any worse than the UFC jerseys that came out the other day that are like ninety five dollars each. Oh god! <laughs> I cringed at that because they're all exactly the same except for the name on the back, and it's like. 95 bucks? Are you kidding me? If you have more than one favorite fighter, you are never going to buy more than one of them. It's a complete waste. But um, while King looks up the price, I will run down the inevitable news that we're going to discuss on this episode of the podcast. First up, the news, and we'll be talking about the GPDA survey and its summary, which came out earlier this week, and why it's a load of horse manure, um, and why Max Verstappen hates the whole thing. Because who would have thought an eight, a 17-year-old kid is the voice of reason here? <laughs> who would have thought it? We'll be talking about why the British Grand Prix was awesome, and and talking about why we all need to calm down a little bit in terms of the hyperbole. Because when you see a column headlined by Martin Brundle saying F1 has turned a corner, we all need to chill. Seriously, uh, and also in the news section, we'll be talking about Aston Martin and the uh, the running sweepstakes of who is going to buy out Red Bull 2015 and who's going to give them engines. Because after Ferrari last week, it's now Aston Martin's turn as they try to leverage themselves in the middle to get Red Bull a Mercedes power unit. Because speculation, that's why. And we'll be talking about Adrian Newey's latest project. 
After that, we'll be talking about Formula One and the British Grand Prix. That start, though, from Felipe Massa and Nico Hulkenberg, as uh, Felipe Massa would go on to shock the world for about 17 laps. As uh, Williams was all of a sudden one and two at the British Grand Prix for a good chunk of the race until Williams being Williams, they got the strategy call wrong. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just when we thought we we might have our fourth different winner of the season. Nope. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be discussing why that didn't go why that didn't go so well for them. We'll be talking about why Hamilton and Vettel got it so right in the end as Hamilton's uh, death-defying, overrated pit call <laughs> won him at the, his third British Grand Prix and the first um, back-to-back British winner since David Coulthard, funnily enough. A long time since that happened. Um, Sebastian Vettel also stealing a podium out of the grips of Williams as Williams really did dig themselves into a hole on that one. Um, and Kimi Raikkonen finishing a lap down in, uh, I think it's P8th in the end as well in that one. And then Mauricio Arabeni kind of throwing poor Kimi under the bus, so to speak. We're talking about that. We're talking about Force India's B-spec car coming good and why I think they had a good chance of a top five result go away. And Fernando Alonso in the points. No Jim Bean in his coffee this episode because Alonso got his first point of the season. Hooray! Yeah. Um, and uh, single-handedly added another 25% to Mercedes points. Sorry, Mercedes, sorry. <laughs> McLaren's point haul for the season. We'll be talking about Formula E and, and, and uh, talking about their doubleheader in London to close out their inaugural season. One, we'll be talking about why Patsy Park really wasn't that great a track. Uh, why race one was kind of dull as Sebastian Wemmy um, put himself firmly into title contention with a win from the front. But Vern's pass on the grassy, though. We'll be talking about that. Race two and how it was ultimately kind of bonkers. Nelson Piquet clawing his way through the field and on an alternate strategy. Wemmy spinning his way out of a championship. Uh, Bruno Senna basically putting up the great wall of Battersea uh, and his possible over-defensiveness and the large amount of controversy as Sarazan had his win taken away for crossing the line with 0% usable power as Sam Bird would take a second win of the season, a home win, to close the year as Nelson Piquet would go on to be Formula E's very first champion. And we'll be talking about the season in general, pros and cons, where to improve for next year, and all of that good stuff. And to close out the show, we'll be talking about IndyCar as well, and we'll be talking about the IndyCar Grand Prix of Fontana this weekend, and just how utterly friggin' ridiculous it was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why is a a contender for race of the year in any form of motorsport this year? Um, We we went 130 plus laps without a caution. Which is pretty much unheard of for for a oval race in IndyCar these days. We'll be talking about the the collisions between Sato and Power, Hunter Ray and Briscoe, Carpenter and Newgarden, and a long-awaited debate about pack racing and and you know why it really isn't as bad as you guys like to think it is, at least in my humble opinion. And we'll be talking about an inside joke, which I've had to come back to roost on as I eat a slice of humble pie of a sage carom. <laughs> and Graham Rahal taking a, I think, much-deserved first win of the season after a good run of form in that Steak and Shake Honda. And why he probably was gifted that one more than anything else. But all that and probably a whole heap of tangents and a lot more on Motorsport 101. Okay, to the news. And, well, where do you start, really? And uh, you, we kind of looked about this on Sunday when, when the summary came out, and there was a lot of talk about it when the summary came out. I think it was earlier last week 
when uh, the GPDA finally published the uh, a summary of the full results of their survey, uh, the, a survey that went out to all the fans to see what they wanted in terms of Formula One, <coughs> um, so, so to speak. And uh, the summary that came through. So me and King are going to have a read through this live on the live on the air <laughs> and talk about how terrible the whole thing basically is. Is that is that the long and the short of it here, King? <laughs> oh, I mean, uh... that that I think I think that's a pretty good impression, right there. <laughs> like, uh, uh, yeah. Like, so let let's get right to it. I'm on page six of this thing right now. I'm going to scroll my way down through this slowly. Um, the first five pages are just general PR shit, pretty much, from Alex Works, who, who I think runs the GPDA at this point. Um, background, it says, As F1 drivers, we share a passion and deep love for our sport with our fans. We want to give every F1 fan the opportunity to share that passion and for us to understand what we really think about us and our sport. We've heard the calls for fans to be consulted, and this is our initiative to make that a reality. And here's some of the numbers regarding that. More than 215,000 fans took part from 194 countries. Now, we made a joke about this, I think, on Skype at one point, King, about how, like, that's almost every country on Earth, 194. Yeah, that's about, that's just about every country. <laughs> yep, uh, that, that's one for an episode of Pointless right there. So if anyone, if, I don't know if anyone from the Central African Republic been about <laughs> it somewhere. Um, 15 different languages represented it and over 15,000 retweets on their page, which is funny because they've only got about two, I think they've only got about 3,000 followers on Twitter. So that one did go quite viral. So props to them where that's concerned, I suppose. Uh, methodology saying that the the total number of fans that, that completed a ballot was two hundred and seventeen thousand. Now, given that F one's got a global audience of about four hundred million, last time I checked, that's that's like zero point five percent. Yeah, this is not representative of what. It, wow, I can't believe I'm saying it. it's not. It's not representative of what a Formula One fan like casual Formula 1 fan things. Like, this isn't even casual level. This is pick a number out of thin air kind of number and hope for the best. Listen, this is roughly 0.5% of F1's TV audience. Not a good look. Um, And I know they only ran it for a couple of weeks, but then again, after a couple of weeks, who is going to take it? So, you know, it's, it's... Countries involved, no surprises. UK was at the top. France was second. They must still be angsty about not having a Grand Prix since 2008. <laughs> and then America was third. Yeah. Uh. America third, Austria fourth. <laughs> Austria buzzing over having a Grand Prix again. Must be like, you know what, we're voting on this shit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Germany, Netherlands, Australia, Japan, Italy, and Brazil. Brazil only ten, and that's apparently F1's largest TV audience. Yeah, amazing stuff. <laughs> that 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 was a real shocker for me in in, the, in in that regard. So yeah, Brazil only at ten is you know a, a country you often align with being huge F1 fans, a huge TV audience, and following over there for obvious reasons. Only tenth on the list. Hmm. Um, the global F1 audience, over half of F1 fans are between 25 and 44 with an average age of 37. No surprises there, really. Over three quarters have been supporting F1 for over 10 years. Again, no real surprises there, in my opinion. Nearly one in four describe F1 as their favorite sport and follow it most closely. Okay. 
as well as F1 fans are also interested in the World Endurance Championship. <laughs> now, now, this one I struggle to buy. Uh, it's like, I think they've put it down just for the sake of it as another form of motorsport they kind of know about because I mean, Le Mans wasn't that long ago, I suppose. So maybe it's still in their you know mindset, I guess, given um, timing and whatnot, the timing of the survey, but Come on now, really? <laughs> the WEC. From from the gauge I get on Twitter, it's not even close. People do not give a shit about the WEC in the grand scheme of things. Right. Unless it's like probably the most hardcore of, of hardcore fans more than anything else. Other than that, I'm missing something. Um, one in five have been to a Grand Prix in the last year. Now, that I thought was a bit high, actually. I'm surprised that out of the 200,000 or so, that's about 40,000 people have said they've, they've, they've been to a Grand Prix um, in the last 12 months. So, yeah, so that's actually quite I mean, a uh, number. So, yeah, I mean, in terms you of... You are getting the hardcores in. I mean, in terms of the number of people who attend races, that still is pretty low, because I would say about, on average, 80,000 people attend every race. That's true. That's, that's a good point as well. So, again... I think I'm more surprised just just, just out of the sample size they took that they got quite a good chunk that have been to a Grand Prix in a year. So maybe that's just me. Attendance is most motivated by good vantage points, pit lane walkabouts, and paddock tours. Yeah. Don't say. (laughs) That that seems very obvious. Over half watch at least 12 races a season, frequently watching the live race. When aren't they live? I mean, <laughs> like, if, if, if you're an F1 fan, you've probably bought Sky Sports F1, and they have every race live. So, yeah, again, not too surprised at that. I don't think... I'm not, I'm not sure how many countries have F1 on pay TV, so maybe that could be a factor, but, you know, um, yeah. I'm not buying that one too much. Yeah, I mean, uh, when it comes to pay TV... Like, obviously, in Britain, there's a large tendency to for t- pay TV to be a terrible thing, while in, like, mm. North America, you know, USA and Canada, pay TV is pretty much standard. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Thing, yeah. <laughs> Fans' ideal time to watch F1 races is Sundays between 12 and 3. So, like, pretty much every race on the calendar on British time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the only ones that really aren't on that kind of window, I think, are Brazil and America, because they're a little bit later. Besides that, they're all in that time slot, so that's really not a big deal. Three quarters of fans watch the race from start to finish. Only three quarters? Okay. Um, yet, apparently, over half watch at least 12 races a year. Okay. Um, how you follow F1, 90% watch on TV, again, no surprise, 45% watch online. <clears throat> uh, I mean, if you count like things like Sky Go and NBC Sports Extra, it's possible to watch F1 online legally, but... <laughs> I think that's a bit of a reach, don't you? Yeah, that, there's no way you get there's, to 45% a- that way. I mean, 45% you're looking at roughly 100,000 people uh, out of of the people they surveyed, and that's a big number. And 30% watch on-demand, so, I mean, maybe that fits more to what you were saying there, King, about on-demand services like SkyGo, like you said. So, yeah, there's a good 15% out there, they reckon, roughly, which is 
more or less maybe thirty thousand people out of that survey they they interviewed saying that they that, that, that you can rough we can roughly work out that about fifty that thirty thousand people are watching illegally. Um, Twitter is the number one social media platform for following F1. Jensen Button is the most followed driver. Okay, I, I can buy that. Button is yeah. Button. Yeah. F1, F1 websites are now the number one source of fan information. Okay, yeah, that's that's it's the, it's the internet. Hardly a surprise. 50% of you don't watch races since live, since live since broadcasts have moved to pay television. Now, given the UK was number one, and given that the BBC, who are on for free, only have half the races live, that one I can actually buy. Um, so, fair enough. I mean, not everybody pays for, for Sky. It's, very, it's, it's ludicrously expensive over here. I mean, it's £27 a month for Sky Sports in this country. And that's roughly do the math here Dre about about $45 which is not cheap um, by any stretch of the imagination to pay that every month um, the teams and drivers you follow a third of you support more than one team and driver no surprises there for me less than 10% of you follow one team alone I thought that would be a bit higher actually no uh, that seems no? normal really okay hmm Perception is nine-tenths of the law, after all, I suppose. 80% of you don't follow a particular driver. Okay. By that logic alone, I guess, that makes sense. If less than 10% follow a team, then I guess a lot of people are are not going to follow just the one driver. So, yeah. Favorite teams, Ferrari at the top, McLaren, then Williams. Again, no real surprises there. Favorite drivers, Kimi Raikkonen, number one. <laughs> really? Uh, I, I was surprised that Lewis didn't even make the top three. <laughs> yeah, like it's uh, it's Raikkonen, Alonso, then Button. So in other words, Raikkonen didn't even like like Hamilton didn't even make the top three. Yeah, the, that is a surprise to me. <sighs> uh, I mean, the fact <laughs> I, the fact that Kimi's number one says a lot. I mean, someone pointed out that. These are also the oldest drivers on the grid. That's a good point as well. That's a very good point. Yeah, you're looking at three of the four oldest drivers in the field there. Anyone not there is Felipe Massa, who's I think pretty much the exact same age as, as Fernando, but they were born in the same week. Um, so, yeah. Um, maybe that makes sense, given in terms of how long they've been around. They've had the biggest chance to pick up fans, I suppose, in that regard. Um, but Raikkonen being number one is very interesting indeed, given the guy has pretty much zero character and he's a bit of a douche in general. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess people are so tired of fake characters in F1 and fake optimism that they'll just take the one guy who's being real, even if he's kind of a dick, I guess. Oh. <laughs> and the, I mean, it kind of undercuts the statement saying that, oh, that... Most people use Twitter and that Jensen's the most followed driver when everyone's favorite driver isn't even on Twitter. Yeah, which is... Like, is Button like everybody's favorite number two option then? (laughs) (laughs) Jensen Button, you're officially Twitter's sloppy seconds. (laughs) Enjoy. Your view on the past. (laughs) This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Uh, we talked about this on the last episode about how we like to glamorize the past. Shocker! They they thought the best looking F one cars were the era of the two thousands with thirty two percent. Again, not really surprising. I can see why that would be a thing. Um, I can buy that. The two thousand cars are very nice. Yeah, but I mean, the the trend says a lot when about like how F one fans actually 
don't really care about the past, when the further you go back, the less and less they care about... The less yeah, and less they you... think the cars are the best-looking cars. Yeah, I'll give you a rundown here real quick. 32% had the 2000s. Then you go back in the 90s, 20%. The 80s, 18%. The 70s, 12%. The 60s, 5%. The 50s, 3%. So, in other words, people find these current cars, which people, generally speaking, don't like very much. They always like to nitpick them. 10% liked the, 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 the current crop of cars the best, which is more than the 60s and 50s combined, which... <laughs> I think is very interesting indeed, actually. Um, your top three drivers of all time. Number one, Ayrton Senna. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go again. Like, I'm not even going to go into massive detail about why that's horse manure. All I will say is, listen to episode eight of the podcast, and we'll we'll tell you why I think that. I mean, you've got to really reach to have Senna at number one, in my opinion. And I think King would back me up on this, especially yes. given that Michael Schumacher is second. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, on our lists on said episode, minor spoiler, we both had Schumacher second, but to not but not to Ayrton Senna, which just makes it all the more hogwash. When, and then you've got Alan Prost third, which, you know, I guess two and three being right is fine, but... It, it kind of looks bad when you see who number one is. It just looks all the more all the more worse, yeah. so to speak, in that regard. It, like you make two and three look doubly stupid if you have Senna at number one, quite frankly. Um, but yeah, if you want to find out who, who both of our greatest drivers of all time is, go listen to episode eight of the podcast. Uh, find it somewhere. It's somewhere in your iTunes feed. Um, <laughs> your image of F one. Less than ten percent of you believe F one is healthier now than it was five years ago. <sighs> Not much has changed in five years, folks. Really. Yeah. Like, similar problems in 2010 are pretty much the same now, if not only slightly exaggerated because of how expensive the engines are. But in 2010, it was pretty much the same thing in terms of spending issues more than anything else. Exactly. Top- 2015, top three attributes you used to describe F1. Expensive, right at the top of the pile. Hmm, okay. Like, like it really, would the first thing to come into a fan's mind in today's F1 would be expensive? I find that hard to believe. I really do. Um, technological second, boring third. Okay. <laughs> um, and and, and in, in, in 2010, the number three option was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> I can't remember a single race from 2010. <laughs> like... Maybe that's just me and my old man memory kicking in there, but no. Um, more people say that F1 needs to feature the best drivers, 88%. Again, pff, redundant statement, really. Everybody thinks that, really. Uh, why would you, why would you want not the best drivers to feature in F1? I mean, does anybody really want to see Draconi in F1? No. No. Um, less people, though, do believe that F1 features the best drivers, which is a little bit more intriguing, because it was 65 in 2010, but because, you know, people love to slap the term pay driver on people. See Sorokin as he strolled to GP2 victory this weekend. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Uh, like it, To me, it seems like there are very few drivers who I say that are ready for F1 and mm. are the best in the world and not in F1. <laughs> like, usually... Yeah. Like I'd say, your your um, Stoffel Van Dorn, your 
young drivers like that, they'll get to F1 eventually. It's not like they're being left out. No, it's like, I mean, Joylan Palmer has got his foot in the door with Lotus. Alex Lynn has his foot in the door with Williams. Stoffer Van Dorn has got his foot in the door with McLaren. Max Verstappen got the call up last year. <laughs> and I know people were talking about him like crazy even before Helmut Marco came knocking. Um, so it's not like the really, really good drivers are missing out. They do eventually get in. Except maybe Sam Bird, but that might be about it. <laughs> but, um, yeah. 85% says F1 needs to recruit new fans. <laughs> Completely redundant statement. Well, of course they need to get new fans. Like, Every sport needs to get new, to get new fans. Why wouldn't you try to get new fans? Like, seriously. Like, you're a business. Like, why wouldn't you try and get new fans through the door? It, it, it's a completely redundant question to ask. Um, your views on F1. <laughs> this is when it gets really peachy. <laughs> F1 remains at the pinnacle of motorsport for many, but you clearly want more competition with business interests less to the fore. <sighs> F1 needs to be more competitive, 89%. No shit. Why wouldn't you want it to be more competitive? <laughs> like, why would you say no to that? Like, like, I like having Mercs at the top winning every race. I think, the, the, like, they want a competition to be more competitive. It, it's a competition. Yeah, like, that's not how this works. Like, we're not pro wrestling here, folks, okay? I'm, I'm sorry. Which is, I love a bit of pro wrestling now and again. No, keep that out of actual sports, please, okay? <laughs> Formula One needs to do more to attract and retain new fans. 85%. Again, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> Completely redundant statement. Formula One's business interests are now too important. 77. What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, first I would say, what business interests are you talking about? The non-sponsors that McLaren has? Like, how can a business imp- how can a business interest of a sport be too important? <laughs> like, that is the importance. You're running a business. Hello? <laughs> yeah, you can't burn money and expect to be there every year. <laughs> F1 is the pinnacle of motorsport, 60%. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay, like that that's ultimate subjectiveness there, really. And I mean, sure 60%, that's like... what? It's like... The, the closest competitor then would have 40%, so they're still... It's not below 50, so... It's fine. That's fine, doesn't really matter. Formula One cars have become too easy to drive. 56%. I'm glad that one's still near the middle, but that's still way too sodding high. Yeah. <laughs> like, how the hell do you know what an F1 car is to drive? You get in one and tell me how easy it is. Like, because apparently everybody can do it now, King. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? Who knew? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll get a test tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you in that Red Bull Driver Academy, fam. Pierre Gasly <laughs> ain't got shit on you. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's important to you? 74% right at the top. F1 rules should be should be relaxed to allow greater diversity of cars and technology. Oh, boy. Yet one of the things you sit, the fans say about Formula 1 is that it's expensive. But you want more diversity and greater emphasis on tech. <laughs> um, you can't have this both ways, okay? <laughs> you can't endorse technology, but also want costs to go down. 
they're, unfortunately, they're not mutually exclusive events. <laughs> <laughs> the sound of F1 engines is important to me. 73%. In other words, we're fickle as shit. Um... <laughs> The power output of engines is important to me. 72%. <laughs> so in other words, the sound is important, but the, but the power is important too. Even though we're in the era of like 850 horsepower cars, more powerful than the V8 era. Oh, one thing that actually surprised me, the lap time since, you know, both Six Hours of Stillerson mm. happened and the British Grand Prix happened, about on average, uh, yeah, about on average, the Formula 1 cars are three seconds a lap quicker than the LMP1 cars. <laughs> oh! Yeah. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> and they're only going to get faster if these uh, strategy group rules come into play. Um, if if that rhetoric is going to be a thing, they're looking to try and they're looking to make the cars dramatically quicker. So the gap's only going to get bigger again if, if the strategy group has anything to say about it. So Yeah, yeah. and it should be noted that uh, the ACO is going to slow down the LMP1 cars next year. So mm-hmm. <laughs> They've gotten too quick, apparently, because 205 mile an hour on Le Mans is too much. Yes, um, <laughs> yes. Apparently. Um, team running costs are too high and not sustainable for a healthy future in Formula 1. 68%. Now I'm going to read that one one more time. Uh, Formula 1 rules should be allowed relaxed to allow greater diversity of cars and tech 74% 68% say team running costs are too high and not sustainable for a healthy future for Formula 1 <laughs> you cannot have your cake and eat it too no 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 you cannot reach for that second slice of cake that's not how this works <laughs> You can, I mean, oh, you can't say, I want more technology in Formula 1, but I want Formula 1 to also be cheaper. No. Uh, yeah, exactly. As I mentioned five minutes ago. Yes. Um, the, the size and type of Formula 1 engines are important for me, 59%. Uh, really? Like, the engines are smaller because that's just how... That's just the direction the automotives are going in these days. Like... BMW's M5s have gone from V10s to V8s and I'm having turbos on them. The MP4, the MP4's got a V6 twin turbo instead of a V8. And that's been, there's, there's less V12s and V10s in general in, mode, in, in, in autosport these days in general. So I'm not too surprised that the engines have gotten smaller because that's just the trend more than anything else. So yeah. unless, you're, unless you're Lamborghini, who really cares? <laughs> like. Because I know they love their big block V12 still, but nobody else does. No, it's... it's Formula it's, 1... Yeah, yeah. Formula it, 1 needs to... Yeah, running big engines is not efficient anymore. It's too expensive to develop that. It's too it's too expensive to ru- for normal people to run that, considering the fuel prices nowadays. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah you can have your Aventador, but enjoy getting your five miles to the gallon out of it. Um... <laughs> Formula One needs. Sorry, Formula One needs to promote increasing fuel efficiency. Thirty-two percent. Okay. Um, so, in other words, you don't really want this whole fuel-saving thing to be a thing. But would you rather have the cars be like two seconds a lap slower by having enough fuel to complete the race straight away? I don't think you'd want that either, because you know, 
we, we kind of care about lap times too, apparently. Um, I would be more likely to follow F1 if all competitors used the same cars and engines. 16%. Now, that I thought was interesting. Because you're bas- they're basically asking, do you want F1 to be a spec series? People don't want that. People don't want that, yet there's always constant debate, yet, oh, this driver would be doing so yeah. much better if they were all in the same car. Yeah, it's like, if everybody was in the same car, who would win? <laughs> in other words, you want GP2, which is basically what GP2 is. Yeah. Um, only one in six, which I thought I thought would be a bit higher than that, to be honest. But, okay, I'm okay with that. Spec series would be terrible for F1. <laughs> um It'd be great for a show, but you, but F1 would be hitting the brick wall in terms of innovation, um, which I don't like that either. A standard engine should be used by all Formula One teams. Again, sixteen percent. Um, okay, um, is that uh, like did they, did they get that many Red Bull and McLaren fans on this survey by coincidence? <laughs> I have no idea. I <laughs> I, I wonder. Formula One would be better served by fewer teams running more cars. Fourteen percent. That one I approve of. Well done, boys. Yeah, that, that's well done. that's fairly obvious. <laughs> yeah, well done, boys and girls. You're you're not completely brain dead. Um, improving the spectacle. There should be there should be more than one tire supplier allowed. Eighty percent. Oh, for the love of God. <laughs> oh. uh, people still smiling like two thousand five was an amazing season. When it wasn't, <laughs> they're just smiling because Schumacher lost. They're smiling because Schumacher lost without realizing that the sport was completely dominated by Michelin runners. So yeah, one tire will be better than the other because that's how these things work. And then you'll have even less of a show as the other guys on the inferior brand fight each other instead. Do you really want that again? <laughs> no. <laughs> The only reason we had a tyre war was to cripple friggin' Ferrari in the end. That's just how this shit works. Um, In-race refueling should be reintroduced, 60%. I thought it would be a bit higher than that, actually. So, okay. Yeah. Um, In-race refueling, 60%. Okay, fair enough. An annual team budget cap should be introduced and policed, 54. Now, pretty much 50-50 on that one. I in a perfect world, I'd like a team budget. Never gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, I bet that's what was said in the boardroom. Just like, um, no, this is not gonna happen, guys. No, you're not gonna tell Ferrari to spend thirty million a year on F1. I'm sure they'd like it, but you know, nobody wants Manor up there except for Manor, um, and maybe Jake Callahan on Twitter. <laughs> Shout out, Jake, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> um. Points should be awarded for fastest lap, 51. Surprised that wasn't higher, actually. Yeah. Um, I'd be totally fine with that. Two points for fastest lap if you're on the lead lap. I'm, I'm, I'd be cool with that. Um, besides, it wasn't a bit higher than that. Teams can purchase and run customer cars, 44. Now, jeez. Uh, now. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, customer cars would be the best way of solving this immediate competition problem. And less than half of the fan surveyed wanted it. That's worrying. Because I mean, there there seems to be a general consensus is uh, the, the general consensus seems to be if a team is running customer cars, they cannot win. Which, strictly speaking, isn't true. Yeah. <laughs> 
we've had many a customer car win before, so you know, just, just see dot 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 Williams. <laughs> <laughs> back in the past when they weren't really a factory team so you know um the introduction of drs has improved racing 40 now i thought it would be lower than this yeah. so i'm glad people i'm glad people have, have realized that drs really isn't all that bad actually um so i'm glad about that points for qualifying 38 i'm glad people have looked quite negatively on that because Giving out points for qualifying kind of defeats the entire purpose of qualifying. Unless you've got randomized grids, there's no point. Um, in my opinion, at least. And an additional third driver race should be introduced over the weekend. 28%. Gimmick. Next. Um, six, this is King's idea. A success ballast. A handicap system for winning teams should be introduced to keep the field closer. King, they don't like your idea. Twenty six percent. Yeah, yeah. People don't like gimmicks in Formula One. They want it to be a gimmick free zone. But they want better racing. You can't have this both ways, people. <laughs> How many thumbs have I got to tell you this? Um, and uh, yeah, reverse grids. Eighteen percent. Good. Next. Um, what do you want to see from drivers to be open and honest with fans? Eighty six. Yeah, so again, why wouldn't you have that all the way? I don't know. Help push forward safety, 83. Damn. Again, why isn't that higher? I, I don't see why, why. Why would you want a more dangerous F1? Well, that's. Um, well, this section is what do you want to see the drivers do? Oh, okay, so push more safety. Okay, that's. Again, why isn't that 100? Yeah. I don't know. Have an active role in formulating and implementing regulation and sporting changes, 78. And they're going to be using that one in the boardroom, that's for sure. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, the fans think we know better. That's 78%. Promote <laughs> um, Formula One and enhance its worldwide image and reputation, 78. No, the drivers are not obligated to promote the sport outside of doing their actual jobs. We're not, they're, not, they're not all going to be Lewis Hamilton, okay? <laughs> and, he's not, and he's not even, like, telling people, hey, go watch Formula 1. He's just doing things. He's just doing shit, like making music with Kanye and, and boning Kendall Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky bastard. Right, actively work to bring fans closer to Formula 1, 75. Uh, Whatever. Why isn't that higher? Like, shouldn't like surely you'd want more fans, you know, in interaction with drivers? Like, why would you say no to that? I do not understand that at all. But yeah, that's the GPDA survey in a nutshell. And basically, I like to think the whole thing is bull excrement because we don't, we clearly don't know what we want. Yeah, not at all. I mean, <laughs> uh, it was. I'm just gonna go off topic for a second. I was watching the NASCAR oh. coverage and. Mm. And to the incident that happened during last weekend's race, where they were talking about fan safety and how the fans reacted to it, the the broadcast openly said, "Yeah, the fans don't know what they want. Don't listen to them live on air." <laughs> NASCAR, I approve. <laughs> I mean, Jacques Villeneuve said this too. He said asking the fans what they wanted was a dangerous thing, and. 
It's like it's annoying he's been taking the piss out of so much. I kind of like Jacques Villeneuve now. It's kind of weird how like I almost feel sorry for him because he's used as a figure of ridicule so much, but he's actually made a decent point here in the sense of we don't know what we want and this survey kind of proved it because a lot of it a lot of the responses literally did not make any sense and they were hypocritical in their stances and responses. So yeah, we don't know what the hell we want. Suck it up, people. Um, the sooner we accept this, the better. We don't know shit, and we and we shouldn't act like we do. Um, so yeah, and a, a guy that kind of agreed with this approach is, of all people, Max Verstappen, <laughs> who who just in case you didn't know already is only seventeen years old. He said he's gonna. He's, he says he's refusing to join the GP to GPDA, and he slammed the idea of a fan survey. This is coming from Grand Prix247.com where he says, and I quote, GPDA stands for Racing United, said the Dutchman. But when other drivers are criticizing as much as they are in the media, I think, why would you join it? You pay it and nothing happens, then what is the value? And do you really think they are going to listen to a boy of 17 with all those egos? <laughs> Nailed it, Max! Nailed it! <laughs> well done, boy. And I think the last part where he talks about the the survey directly where he basically said quote i think that sort of thing is pointless so much is often discussed but nothing ever happens it's been like that for years and if anything's going to change i i don't think it's going it's going to be because of the gpda (laughs) he's a small kid this max isn't he He's no idiot. He knows what's... Clearly, like, given the references he's made before to guys like Felipe Massa uh, after that crash at Monaco, he's been watching Formula One for a long time. He clearly knows what goes on behind the scenes. He knows what's going on. He's no idiot when it comes to the politics of F1. And, yeah, the GPDA, I've got no power. And I think this whole survey, for me felt like one giant agenda to try and to get them some power and it's never going to happen yeah i mean uh i we could get into the recent strategy group meeting where basically claire williams said they because this the group meeting had happened the same day the results had came out and claire basically Mm. claire williams basically said yeah we didn't even like discuss the the survey results at all because they had come out too late and, and I mean, what would the discussion be if, if such a thing were to happen? And they'd probably be saying the same things we are saying right now. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, they want things that that basically contradict with each other. Exactly. So, yeah, Max, we approve of you of your statements. Um, just don't talk about women in cars again, please. And maybe we'll start. Maybe we might start to like you again. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, talking about that. Well, I'll move the hyperball talk to the to the race itself. But yeah, there was also a little story that that leaked out. I think during the race weekend itself, of the possibility of Aston Martin buddying up with Red Bull Racing to uh, try and leverage a deal to get Mercedes powered uh, engines um, to Red Bull Racing of them to essentially enter F1, which was kind of a nice idea. I think it was kind of. You know, people tried to put two and two together because Adrian Newey is working on a car project with Aston Martin um, outside of F1. So I think kind of, I think people kind of put two and two together on that one and tried to make a story out of it. I don't really buy it very much at the moment. And Aston Martin themselves came out on Monday and said, 
we know it's improbable we're not really going to enter F1 and we haven't really got the money to do it justice King <laughs> yeah I mean it, that too seems very strange because that's not what the rumors were about it wasn't about Aston Martin buying a team it wasn't about no. Aston Martin entering a new team it was more about them uh, being partnership. yeah it was more about a partnership and them being the vehicle for for Red Bull Racing to procure the services of a Mercedes power unit yeah it's like okay so Red Bull can't get a Merck's unit themselves so we're gonna get Aston Martin to do it for us it, it, it seems very bizarre it's, it's like something you get in a playground when you're trying to get somebody else's Pokemon cartridge it's like yeah I, I can't get this game myself but if I can talk to a friend who knows a guy maybe we can sort something out <laughs> yeah. the whole thing just seems kind of seems, seems, seems kind of sketchy really because it's like it's like Aston Martin was deflecting rumours that wasn't really there in the first place <laughs> which is just kind of weird it's like oh yeah by the way we're not really going to get an F1 guy sorry um, nobody really thought you were but okay, okay. cool okay nah it's like nice to nice to establish that people are looking into <laughs> the fact that you know Mercedes Benz owns five percent of Aston Martin and oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. recently it's come out that Adrian Newey who is essentially a Red Bull employee for life now is going to be designing yep. an Aston Martin road car. Ooh, <laughs> looking forward to that. <laughs> so it seems like the rumors do have some sort of weight behind it. A little bit. Like you, 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 you can piece something together out of this, I suppose. So, I mean, journalists have a knack of digging something out of nothing. This isn't quite a nothing. It's close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fairly close to nothing. But it, it's it's something like you know, it's like digging up fool's gold, I suppose. In that in that regard, so you know, must we speculate over the possibility of Aston Martin? And then I got I got into a huge conversation with a guy on Twitter called Scott, who was just going back and forth to saying, uh, yeah, well, what if Red Bull do this? And what if Renault buy this? And what if Red Bull power are powered by this? And what happens to their academy? And it's like. I never really realistically bought into the idea of Red Bull quitting. I think it's just Dimitrik just saying shit, so to speak. Hashtag that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're um, they're far too invested to be to just pull up and leave. No, and if they do, it won't be for like five years or something like that anyway. So I, I don't see them ever quitting that anyway. So pff. yeah, they, they've put way too much marketing money into that hole for them to suddenly pull out, in my opinion, the moment the shit hits the fan. So. And, you know, they're still fourth in the construction, which isn't terrible, terrible for Red Bull. It's just not where they really want to be. It's just a bad season more than anything else. Um, there's no reason why Renault can't pull it back for next year. I mean, we saw what Ferrari got up to this year and the, and the leaps and bounds differences they've made this year. So there's no reason, in my opinion, why Renault couldn't do the same year to year. So, you know, especially if they get a pass, which is what the strategy group are kind of wanting to happen. They want to give Renault a chance, which is just bizarre. But... Yeah, that's the news pretty much. And uh, after this quick musical interlude, we'll be talking about the British Grand Prix.
Okay. Let's get this cut to the chase here. It was the British Grand Prix this week, this past weekend at Silverstone, and hooray, a great race king! F1 is saved! <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it was a very good race, but mm. I'm not on the F1 is saved bandwagon hype train hybrid. <laughs> You, you, you don't believe in the uh, in the uh, HMS uh, Martin Brundle, the hype boat, so to speak, because it was raining after all yeah. during the race. Like, uh, the- like at, to, to begin with, I didn't think F1 was, like, completely terrible, as everyone presumed after no, the Austrian exactly. Grand Prix. Exactly. We, we were not on that F1 is terrible train because Austria didn't produce a 9 out of 10. So... Like, I thought the, the condemnation of F1 was silly, and I actually agreed with a lot of what Toto Wolf had to say in the sense of, we in F1 shouldn't be so quick to turn the finger and criticise it so bad. Um, in that, because, you know, they kind of owe it to themselves to make the sport look as good as possible, because, hell, they're taking part in it, and, you know, you're indirectly promoting the damn thing. So why would you ever want to be so quick to tell to say your sport sucks? Like, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it doesn't help anybody. It, you know, there's no benefit from doing that unless you're part of the fan service, because, you know, they want to be more honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, we kind of suck. I mean, yeah, as people don't watch, so... It's it, it was a terrible idea. So yeah, I'm, I wasn't on the hype train either on this one, but don't get me wrong, the timing of this race was quite handy. I, I can't deny that. <laughs> like, uh, as, as as like people were looking to beam down just hate and criticism on F1, you know, F1, di- I think, was due a really good race. We got one. Hooray. Let's not stop proclaiming that F1 is suddenly saved again because Hungary is probably going to suck unless it rains too. <laughs> I'm just saying that in advance, not to mention all that momentum will be killed because it, we're going to have one race to represent the next two months now in Formula 1. So, you know, we've got three weeks till Hungary and then four weeks after that for the summer break till Spa. So, just saying, there's not going to be a lot of F1 to talk about in the next three weeks. Yeah, I, but- I think... it's good that we have this race so we have a nice calm three weeks heading into Hungary not three weeks of what can we do to fix F1 yeah thank god like we we, we could put the narrative on pause for a few weeks yay Um, but talking about the race itself it was a very very good race the rain came I think at just the right time as I think a lot of guys were going to be trying to two stop it through this race so I think the rain came at pretty much the perfect time, about 15 laps to go. The rain started coming down. And then, well, I would say pandemonium broke loose, but that kind of already happened with a awful start from the two Mercedes drivers. I know a lot was made of Hamilton's clutch problems so far this season and why he's had a couple of bad starts lately. But in this case, it was both of them as Felipe Massa shot off to a one-second lead from third on the grid. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, both Williams had an amazing start. Uh, mm. Nico Hulkenberg also had an awesome start. Yeah, Hulkenberg was insane from P9. He was fifth place by the time turn one rolled around. Yeah. Ahead of, ahead of, I think, Daniel Kvyat's Red Bull and both Ferraris, because both Ferraris had a terrible start too, um, which was even more weird. Like, when was the last time we saw a race where four of the top six had a terrible start? I can't remember. 
that shit just doesn't happen. Um, so Massa was off, he took off. Hamilton was second by that point, and next thing you know, there was a safety car um, because of the Turn 1 incident, um, where basically uh, Daniel Ricciardo decided to play F1 pinball with everybody. As a, he banged Grosjean, Grosjean banged Maldonado, both of him went out, then he banged Button, Button spun and hit the side of Alonso, Button was out, all hell broke loose. And next thing you know, there's two teammate collisions and three retirements off the opening corner. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no one was no one was to blame for it. I think the stewards will, will mostly give a pass to turn one incidents most of the time anyway because it's turn one. Um, but yeah, Ricardo, what were you doing? <laughs> um, banging wheels of Grosjean there. I think I think Grosjean said afterwards. I think I think he blamed Ricardo for over exuberance, <laughs> which I find impressive given it's turn one. I don't think there's much room for over exuberance. <laughs> Um, so I thought that was quite a funny response from Romain on that one I, I, I'm sure he was a bit bitter about the whole crash thing um, understandable I guess <laughs> wasn't really his fault but you know shit happens and then after the restart Hamilton botches his restart he, he tried to pass Massa going into the final chicane which was always going to be a bit of a reach <laughs> he locked up he went wide Bottas was through and next thing you know it's Williams 1 and 2 for the next 10 laps Damn. <laughs> yeah and it was oh that that 10 laps that 10 lap stint where Williams were 1 and 2 uh, I mean I loved it I hated it <laughs> mainly the hating part coming from basically its fan reactions on you know what William Williams should do in that situation it was a difficult situation so to speak because I mean a lot of people got angry at the fact that Williams essentially pulled team orders and then didn't pull team orders because they basically told Bottas to stay behind at first and then said only get him if it's a clean pass so they changed their minds on the whole situation and a lot of fans I mean Williams addressed this on Twitter on on, on Monday morning and I think they made a very good point in this regard if you tell your drivers to race each other you get criticized because it's not a good team decision in the context of the one two they were in if you tell them team orders, you get criticised for that too. So, it's I, I do get where Williams are coming from in the regard of well, you're kind of doomed if you do and doomed if you don't, so to speak. But they overhyped the situation because Mercedes had no way of passing. Yeah, yeah. And they were they were they were confusing themselves over a situation that didn't really exist. Uh, I mean, it can get very uh, frustrating if you're following the race on Twitter and you have all these fan opinions on how race strategy should be and uh it yeah I I, I, I people like Chandy Patel coming out saying that oh why can't Williams let their drivers race it's for the fans man and I'm like I had to retweet her saying the fans like they're not obligated to be entertaining they're obligated to try and win the sodden race <laughs> yeah like I was like, you people can't be this stupid, right? <laughs> this is a race, right? <laughs> this is not entertainment, people. They're not they're not obligated to entertain you. They did, <laughs> but not through directly saying, Oh hey Massa, do you mind spinning the car for us real quick? <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah, Massa and Bottas lead the way. Massa takes this really weird alternate line through Sector 2, which doesn't help the situation at all, really. <laughs> it just bunches everybody up. And then the whole race changes when... Well, first of all, I've got to mention this. I love that Merck's pulled the dummy on Williams. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to box him. No, 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 no. Everybody back in. <laughs> and I thought that was quite funny, which actually led to the backstory of Susie Wolf actually texting her husband during the race. <laughs> texting Toto saying, are you trying to pull the dummy on us? <laughs> and then Toto saying after the race, yeah, I'm eating an Indian alone tonight. <laughs> 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 he's pissed off the wife with that one can't have that <laughs> but um, yeah then Hamilton pulled the undercut and then Williams had about half a lap to respond they didn't and after the stop Hamilton was about three and a half seconds clear whoops Ugh, I mean when when that pit stop was said and done and you just see how far that Mercedes was up the road uh, all hope was lost. All hope was lost. Back to the status quo. Enough of your crap, Williams. And once again, Williams got it wrong. They had time. They had time to respond to a Hamilton undercut attempt. They didn't. And that one extra lap cost them dear. And, oh boy, I felt really bad for Nico Rosberg because once again, he was in that situation where leader gets first first option on stops. Hamilton was boxed. Rosberg came out behind the two Williams again, and he, again, couldn't find a way around them until the rain started coming down 20 laps later. Um, but, yeah, once Hamilton once Hamilton did that, comfortable pretty much from start to finish from Hamilton until the rain came down. And when the rain came down, there was about a five-lap window where I think the drivers, everybody pretty much unanimously, I think except for Kimi Raikkonen, um pretty much said, okay, we're going to ride this out and see what happens. The lap times plummeted. They were doing 141s out there um, at one point, um, being very tentative out there. And Rosberg was gaining on Hamilton at the rate of about two seconds a lap. So the gap that Hamilton had gotten from you know Rosberg being stuck behind the two Williams until Rosberg put off a couple of really nice passes so to get to take care of both the Williams there when the rain started coming down you know so well played Nico on those passes by the way very entertaining stuff from uh from old Nico who apparently isn't aggressive enough to be an F1 so who knew <laughs> um but um after that he was he's closing in on Hamilton he's in his DRS zone and then Hamilton pits Rosberg doesn't and little did we know, that won Hamilton the race. Because the, at that point, the rain got heavier. And the extra lap that Rosberg was out in open air cost him dear. And then Hamilton would take a pretty comfortable win in the end. And a shame for Nico because, I mean, Brundle summed it up after the race very well. I think where he said, if you're Rosberg and you're gunning down Hamilton at two seconds a lap, why the hell would you stop? Exactly. Then I felt the same way when I saw, like, when I saw it pouring down and he had that large of a margin on him. I was like, just keep going. Just keep going. Yeah, your pace is excellent. You're the fastest man on track. Why would you stop? And, you know, Hamilton got it right. And, you know, almost, I think, via sheer dumb luck. I know he, I know he, he's tried to take credit like it was him. No. Yeah, that, that <laughs> was an act of God. That was an act of God that, uh, pardon the pun, blessed <laughs> Hamilton 
to uh, win that Grand Prix there. I mean, I, I mean Hamilton trying to t- claim it was really smart. Like, dude, have you forgotten Monaco already? <laughs> it's like, like, don't pretend like you suddenly got this one right, like you're some kind of genius. <laughs> like, you, you can predict the weather to a T. Like, if you, okay, well done. You're a good weather man. You're better than Michael Fish. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, Hamilton got it right. Rosberg got it wrong. He lost out by about 10 seconds by the time the race was all said and done. Um, Oh yeah, 10.9 in the end to be Pacific. And yeah, Sebastian Vettel, who was struggling in the early going in P9 um, after a very bad start, was stuck behind Sergio Perez and the Force Indias and Daniel Kvyat as well. He cleared that pack um, uh, by taking the undercut, which I think Force India probably should have done to try and keep track position because Hulkenberg was P5 during that first stint. But um, after that, um, Vettel went in the same lap as Hamilton and they hit the jackpot. I mean, have you seen the onboard video of Sebastian Vettel before he came in the pits that was on WTF Uh, 1? No, I didn't see the onboard. It 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 was lap 37 where the rain started to get a little bit heavier. And it's the lap where Hamilton, like, Vettel is fighting the car, and he corrects himself going down the old f- start-finish straight at 150 miles an hour. Oh, my God. Did I mention he's driving the car one-handed because he's checking for rain at the same time? <laughs> utterly, utterly ridiculous car control from Sebastian. If you haven't seen it, go find it. It's on It's on WTF1.co.uk. It is the onboard where because it's the same that the Vettel passes Raikkonen down the DRS going into um, Croft, and it is a sensational pass, and it's a sensational bit of car control from Sebastian. He really does get it right when it comes to wet weather, and uh, yeah, he nailed it. And yeah, turns out he finished in twenty fifth, sorry, twenty five, just twenty five seconds off the win now after a terrible start in third place, stole that podium, his sixth podium of the year now um, for, for Ferrari, and yeah, he's doing another sensational job up there in P three, just getting the maximum out of a bad situation given that he started sixth and he was down in ninth at one point but yeah he beat the Williams out in the line at the end and was the fastest guy on track on intermediate tyres in the end so yeah well done Seb a a stolen podium there is a he finished in third with Felipe Massa in fourth Valtteri Bottas in fifth he finished a, a minute behind Hamilton's winning car. So for all the talk about Valtteri Bottas being the next big thing, he needs to work on his wet weather driving because he finished, in the end, nearly half a minute behind Massa in the same car. What the hell happened there? <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe, uh, well, maybe it's a quirk of the car. He's not used to driving that specific car in the wet, maybe. Yeah, I'm trying to think now. When has he had a wet weather drive? Like, besides... Canada 2013, where they had that that stonking qualifying lap. Um, besides that, I'm, I don't think he's had a wet race in that in that Williams. I mean, I think last year was kind of devoid of wet races, except for Japan, and he struggled there too. So, um, kind of makes sense, I suppose. Danil Kvyat there in P6, another solid result there. He almost caught Valtteri on the final lap there, very um, Button Ricardo esque from last year. Um, but Kvyat there had a chance at the podium, according to Christian Horner, and I kind of agree with him on that one. He was keeping pace with Sebastian Vettel. Um, but they put the full wets on the car at the end, so Red Bull taking a gamble didn't really work out in the end in that regard, but still, I think a, a solid P6 
for Kavir and the only Renault powered car standing, <laughs> so to speak, after Daniel Ricciardo had a power unit failure, as did Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen. Remi- reminded of old why he's only 17 years old, spinning off the track on lap three after the restart because his tyres were too cold. Yeah. Well done, Max. Yeah, usual rookie problems. <laughs> rookies being rookies. Um, Nico Hulkenberg in P7. Again, solid result for Nico. Again, his third consecutive top eight finish for Force India. The B-Spec car seemingly working quite well out there. Um, lost out on the pit stops again in the rain change at the end there. Could have been a top five. But um, overall, not too bad from Nico at all. And Kimi Raikkonen. Oh, dear. Eighth place, a lap down, had to pit two extra times because they they he had to change for a new set of intermediates with four to go. Which I thought, what the hell's he doing? Um, yeah, and then Mauricio Avrabeni kind of threw him under the bus by saying it was Kimi's call to change tires, and Kimi admitted after the race he probably pitted about six laps too early for intermediate tires, and um, yeah. Not a good day at the office for Kimmy. Not a good day at all. And, uh, uh, maybe, uh, things are not looking good for Kimmy. Maybe it's just a slump and it'll fix itself. But there's a large gap between, there's a large gap between the next upcoming races. So it's going to be a long time till we see anything different. Indeed. Not to mention he's 60 points behind his teammate, which is not a good look at all because Vettel's been arguably driver of the year so far given his consistent qualities not finished the race outside of the top five has 135 points Raikkonen is in a legitimate scrap with the Williams right now he's in a Williams sandwich as Bottas has got a three point advantage over Massa in the championship standings at the moment with Raikkonen in the middle it's not a good look given that we know what Ferrari is capable of this season so yeah not a good look at all Sergio Perez in ninth again both Force India's in the points so again solid result again for Force India there they need that and for all the talk about how bad Force India have been they're fifth in the constructors right now <laughs> which is kind of what they needed which is kind of what they needed to be last year so for all the talk Hey, look at Force India all of a sudden. <laughs> yep, they're looking strong. The spec cars looking strong. Maybe Sergio can get a bit quicker, but not really much complaints over at Force India. <laughs> no, they got. They, they, I think if, 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 if they offered them both cars in the points, I think they would take it if they were offered that before the race. So, yeah, well done, Force India. And in P10. For McLaren Honda, Fernando Alonso finally in the points. Yep. <laughs> oh, I, I never thought I would see the day where McLaren is score where McLaren scores points again. That seemed completely improbable. Yep, as Fernando Alonso beats the only car not named the Mauritia that got in the points, Marcus Ericsson in eleventh, with Fernando Alonso in tenth. And to be fair, if he's not had a mechanical problem, Fernando, or been taken out like in Austria, he's finished well. Like his three finishes this season are P12, P11, and P10. So it's not. Comp- you could argue this was due for Fernando. I guess given that Jensen scored four points at Monaco, I guess you could say Alonso, who's been a bit better than him this year, probably deserved the point or two here and there. So. Yeah, well done to Fernando on that regard. A well-earned point, so to speak. Uh, Marcus Ericsson, 11th. And, of course, uh, three laps down, the uh, Mauritius of Roberto Mehi and Will Stevens, 12th and 13th. <laughs> so, uh, Mauritius' best result of the season. And uh, 
I don't think it'll get much better than that for them this year, no. <laughs> to be honest. Um, three laps down and 12 and 13, because there were seven retirements in the field this race. Carlos Sainz, power unit failure. Daniel Ricciardo, power unit failure. Max Verstappen spinning off. The collision of Grosjean, Maldonado and Button. And Felipe Nasser, who didn't even make the start due to a gearbox problem. But yeah, if you want to see my full race review of the British Grand Prix, it's on the website, harrison101.com. Um, I gave it an 8 out of 10. It was a very, very good race. Very much enjoyed it. Check it out if you haven't already. You probably have if you're listening to this show. But uh, yeah, enough about Formula 1. After this quick break, we'll be talking about the Formula E race in my hometown of London. Everybody, and let's talk about the Formula E season finale in London King. And what did you make of the whole spectacle? Uh, it looked the race one could have been better. Race two was pretty decent. Uh, there, there was room for improvement, but I mean, it was a below-average Formula E race, but a pretty decent race by itself. Yeah, it's like the context of Formula E, this was actually quite mediocre, especially race one. Like, race one was arguably the worst race of the season. Um, Race two was pretty good, but still probably wouldn't even make a top three for Formula E this season, which says a lot about the quality of the races we've gotten this year more than anything else. So, yeah, I mean, Battersea Park, I don't think really worked as a race, or as a venue, so to speak. Yeah, the the roads are just far too tight to actually have any real. They're not roads; it's a friggin' park. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's no chance of overtaking at all. 
Yeah, that, that was that was practically nowhere to pass. The the road, the the the, the park lanes were very very narrow, barely enough to get two cars through. Um, not very many places you could pass a guy, especially during race one, because the because turn one itself was uh, partially cordoned off because it was too bumpy, and then removed for race two, which didn't really make a difference, but still. Well, you know, it's one of those things. In qualifying for race one, Wemmy was on pole, beat the whole field by half a second, which was a bit of a shocker. Um, I don't know where Wemmy got that from all season, but uh, he would, you know, casually stroll off to take a, a rather boring race one. It's funny, I was watching this at my at my auntie's house with like some of my family that actually are into their motorsport, funnily enough. All of them fell asleep during the race except for me. <laughs> Including my own brother. <laughs> which what was just... Hilarious in its own right, really. Um, just having like Wemmy there, like take a take a very easy win. <laughs> My brother kind of woke up for the um, John Eric Verne pass, the sensational dive bomb on Lucas Degrassi <laughs> to take a podium spot in third. But not much really happened, to be honest. It was Wemmy taking the win from D'Ambrosio and Verne, Lucas in, Lucas Degrassi in fourth, Nelson Piquet fifth. Tried a different strategy, didn't really work. Sam Bird in sixth. Who passed? I think it was Nicholas Prost with like two laps to go, and it was an audacious move into the chicane. Sam Bird, um, the bird is indeed the word on that one. More on that later. But uh, he was in sixth. Nicholas Prost seventh. Luke Duval in eighth. Oliver Turvey making his debut for, in, in Formula E in ninth for the next Tev team there because that seat's been going on a merry-go-round all season long, really. But Turvey, I think, held himself quite well out there. So props to Turvey. And uh, Stefan Sarazan in P10 getting the last of the points ahead of Bay, Simona in 11th. Then a big gap back to Karun Chanhok, Heinfeld, Lima, who for some reason decided to completely burn his battery out. No concept of battery management whatsoever from Lima. <laughs> Ricky mistake. Yano Trilli, Bruno Senna, Salvador Duran, Alex Fontana didn't make the end. He was four laps down. Daniel Apt um, had some kind of car damage which made him hit the wall at the end. Um, um, 15 laps in. And Sakon Yamamoto who did not finish either. But yeah, Duran got a time penalty in the end as well because he overused his power on his first car. But... We skipped to race two. The turn one barricade was removed, and everybody got their calculators out like an episode of Mini Drivers because we were all just working out the points as it was going on. Because the qualifying session in Q in for, 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 for the second race was mental. <laughs> it, it it was really really mental. It was a, it was a rain affected qualifying session because the first two groups of qualifying cars ran in the dry, and then. This Q3 and Q4, the groups that just so happened to contain Lucas Degrassi and Nelson Piquet, were rain-affected king. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, yeah, it was kind of like having two grids at once because, like, to put into perspective, Yano Trudy was the worst of the dry runners. He was 3.1 seconds off the top. He did a 127 dead. The next car was the fastest of the wet runners, and that was Lucas in P11, 132.5. There was a five and a half second difference <laughs> around one lap of a 90 second track because of the rain. I know the Formula E tyres are all purpose, but less grip is less grip. Um, so, like, Lucas kind of led the B grid ahead of Turvey. And then Simona, like, to set a hell of a lap there at the end to get into 13th ahead of John Eric Verne, her, her, her slightly better teammate, Nicholas Prost in 15th. Then Nelson Piquet was down in 16th which we all thought, oh shit, title over for PK. But 
PK drove that car like a man possessed. <laughs> um, during race two, he pulled off a couple of really bold passes. Um, the one, the one the Salvador ran after Turvey had, had kind of moved over because there was a bit of team orders there in the next dev team. Oliver Turvey was the faster guy, but Turvey let Nelson through, and then on the same lap, he went around the outside and then dive bombed into the final chicane to pass Salvador Duran and little did we know at the time that was a title winning pass from Nelson Piquet as he would eventually finish in 7th place but it was chaos <laughs> race 2 was chaos we had a safety car in the middle because Sakon Yamamoto binned it into turn 2 and afterwards Nelson's superior strategy came into play he went up the field Stefan Sarazan pretty much led from start to finish just one problem, Sarazan crossed the line with 0% of workable power left. So, as by the rules, you are given a 49-second time penalty if you cross the line with zero usable power. Don't know if, I think that's a very harsh rule, to be honest with you. I mean, to go from winning the race to not scoring like any points for the win at all... Because you, you you crossed the line, you finished the yeah. race. I mean, I think a forty nine second penalty is a bit silly, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. Uh, like in Formula One, they have a similar rule where you have to finish with at least a liter of fuel, and that's mainly to inspect the fuel after the race. In Formula E, kind of doesn't make mm. sense, but also has its own issues because you don't want a stopped car out on track. That's true. Uh, after the race, you don't want to be, you know, like 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 Lucas Degrassi did it did it basically at um did at Berlin where he crossed the line and then his battery conked out about a hundred yards later. <laughs> he crossed the line with like must have been less than zero point five percent of his battery left because he had to, he had to be literally towed into Park Ferme, <laughs> which was kind of surreal to watch. But um. Yeah, as a result of Sarazan crossing the line with a zero, Sam Bird was given the win. Um, so well done, Sammy. And he got fastest lap too, so 27 points for Sam Bird for crossing the line and winning his home Grand Prix at the end there, which I, had, I know a lot of British fans were down there. They went nuts over Sam Bird being announced as the winner. Um, so Bird winning over D'Ambrosio with his second, second place of the weekend. And Luke Duvall there for Dragon Racing. Another really good day. I think Dragon actually, I think, stole second in the Constructors after getting 33 points for having both their guys finish second and third on the, on the last race ahead of Bruno Senna in fourth <laughs> Mahindra where have they been all season long so all of a sudden Bruno channels Mahindra's early pace by finishing in fourth and defending in very very aggressive fashion to keep Sebastian Buemi um, from winning the championship in fifth I mean I still would like to see the onboard of that final lap because we, because they, we, on the hard camera in the UK, we didn't see what happened into that final chicane. So all we saw was them making contact and basically Bruno rubbing Remy against the side pod and then Senna hanging on to take that fourth place and via des, via desperate measures, really. It, I mean, I think it was blatant obviously. He, 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 he did more than one move. Yeah, like Remy was clearly pissed. Like he. I, I know Boemi probably knew it was for the championship as well, but he was clearly mm. pissed about whatever Senna d- had done. 
Indeed. I mean, Wemmy is not the kind of guy to rage, so I think something bad must have happened that we didn't see on his onboard. And I, when no footage has ever been released of Wemmy's onboard of that fight, like only the last 10 seconds or so, where he crosses the line. Because there was a lot of controversy as well about whether Loic Duval got penalised because it looked like he crossed the line with a zero. But it turns out on the replay, he did actually cross the line with 1% of his battery left, so fair play, Duval. <laughs> he was always in the clear, it's just the graphics got it wrong. Uh, well done, Formula E. Something you can work on for next year. But yeah, Buemi in fifth, Lucas Degrassi in sixth, Nelson Piquet Jr. from 16th to 7th. A phenomenal job from Nelson to win the title in P7. Had a Salvador Duran in 8th, Oliver Turvey again in 9th, and Nicholas Prost with the last of the points in 10th. Ahead of Apt, Di Silvestro, Chanhock, Fontana, Sarazan in 15th after his penalty, but he did get pole, so he gets three points for that. Um... Yeah, so yeah, he, he did he that he did he did get something, I suppose. He got three points for the pole position. John Eric Verne in sixteenth place ahead of the retired cars of Heinfeld, Lima, Trilli, and Yak and Yamamoto. So the final championship standings had Nelson Piquet Jr. winning the title by one point over Sebastian Buemi, one forty four to one forty three. Nelson Piquet was in third with one hundred and thirty three points. Jerome D'Ambrosio in 4th of 113, and Sam Bird jumped up to 5th at the end with that last win of 103. Um, and in the Constructors, it was Edams who won the team title at the end of the round 1 with a 232-point haul ahead of Dragon Racing, who jumped up two spots up to 2nd on that last race with 171 ahead of the Audi Sport app team in third 165, ahead of Nextev with 152. Ironically, 144 out of, out of Nextev's 152 points both came <laughs> all came from Nelson PK the other car only scored 8 total points this year talk about Kakari job and then Virgin Racing in 5th with again Bird scoring 103 out of the team's 133 points but uh yeah, a pretty chaotic final race. If you know the context, it's not quite as, ex- as entertaining as you think it is. But live, it was a thriller. It was an yeah. absolute thriller. So um, definitely the uh, the finale the sport was kind of looking for. And it worked out because the um, B- um, ITV1, which was showing the main race, ITV proper, 1.2 million viewers. Uh, 1.2 million viewers tuned in for that season finale. So Great job for, for ITV1 promoting the sport there. It seemed to work out quite nicely in the end with a, a very, very solid TV rating for a Sunday afternoon. Um, so hopefully that, that could only mean good news for the future in terms of um, Formula E f- featuring an ITV for the future. But um, overall, King, I think it's fair to say pretty great for a first season. Yeah, completely fantastic for a first season for Formula E. I, was, uh, I wasn't skeptical, but... Uh... Uh, I like partially didn't like the like the the styling of the car bodywork, but mm. besides that, I like I was completely on board for the series. But I was stunned by the quality of racing that we saw this year, and the fact that we had so many different winners in Formula E. How many did we have in the end? I think we had Wemmy, Degrassi, PK won a race. Bird won a race. Who else was in there? Um. Mm. Think back, think back. Um, shoot, my memory's going here. Hang on. Let, hang on, I've got, I've got, I've got the champions down there. It's right here, actually. Hang on. Yeah, so Lucas won a race, Sam Bird won a race, Buemi won in Punta del Este, Anthony Felix da Costa for Amlin won in Argentina, then you had Nicholas Prost win in Miami, 
Then you had Nelson win his first race at Long Beach. Remy won again in Monaco. Jerome D'Ambrosio was given the win in Berlin after after the Lucas got disqualified for the illegal front win. Then Nelson won again in Russia. Then Bwemi won race one in London. And then Bird won race two. So six different winners? Yeah, six different winners. Six different winners. We'll take that um, for a first season. Yeah, I mean, it's a spec series. So, you know, you're going to have unpredictability in there naturally. But... Yeah, there was a lot of competitive guys in there. Like, I mean, we saw guys come in late, like Luke Duval, who was you know, more than held his own out there on many occasions. Anthony Felix da Costa was very good. I mean, the quality of the field was excellent. There was some, there's, a, there's a great blend of young talent as well as recognizable names, established veterans. I loved the lineup of the drivers. I thought that was one of the best things the series had going for it, and that definitely delivered in that regard. Circuits, more winners than losers, I would say. I mean, some of them weren't great. Battersea wasn't great. I don't think China's box circuit particularly worked well. I don't think Monaco worked well. But I'd still say more was good than bad there, I I would say. Yeah, more was good than bad. And it seems like next year is going to be even better. Yeah, because we've already seen that they're going to we're going to Mexico City and Paris next year. So two new races on the calendar for next year. No sign of Monaco. Apparently, Monaco will be bi yearly from here on in. So maybe they've got an extra year to work on that. Which, which you know, I don't. I think, uh, I think they probably could. I think they could do the full Grand Prix circuit. I really do. And two years time, maybe, maybe. Yeah, if the cars are fast enough, I mean, give it a try. I mean, why not? I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a lot. It'll, it'll still be a long lap, but it, it, I think as a spectacle, it'll be pretty cool to see the you know, the Grand Prix track that people know and recognize. I think that would work. Yeah, like I know uh, Alejandro Igag, he's recently flown to Japan in hopes of getting a <laughs> Japanese E-Prix on the streets of Tokyo. <laughs> Ooh, that would be quite fun. I still say she should go to Donington as, as a home Grand Prix circuit as well, because they, they did their test race around Donington, and I thought that was excellent. So, um, you know, if it's smaller actual tracks I, don't, I wouldn't mind seeing that either but hey they've got the, the, the street tracks have worked for the most part so hey why change a broken formula um, so yeah I think the tracks worked out well if it's okay so imagine you're in charge what are you working on for next year like wh- wh- what was your biggest issues with the series yeah with the series I'd probably be looking at more power more than anything else oh, yeah, but, yeah that's fair oh uh, and also a larger calendar. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very spread out calendar. We only had eleven races this season. I mean, twelve is a bit better, but I mean, MotoGP has eighteen races. Formula One has nineteen races on the calendar as it stands. I mean, when you, I mean, it's not like there's a lack of interest. Three hundred cities have signed up for a race. <laughs> they want a race, and I mean, obviously because there's no sanctioning fee, why the hell wouldn't you apply? And you know, you've got, you got nothing to really lose and everything to gain from a marketing standpoint. So, you know, I mean, look at this race. We had a, a whole heap of celebrities rocking up for it. We had obviously Maryland and Boris Johnson was down there. Antonio Banderas was down there. Richard Branson, Will I Am, Usain Bolt, you know, was was a big face of, of of the Grand Prix in London and whatnot. So, yeah, on the whole, you know, then they market themselves very well. So, you know, there's not there's a lack of interest. So, why not just blow it out a little bit and have a 15, 16 race calendar? And I know they're building up towards that, um, but I don't see why you couldn't just do it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing um, one thing I'm also on the fence about where. Like, right now, there's a fairly strong 20-team grid 
maybe 22, mm. 24 cars would be nice, but I don't know, especially with the size of the circuits that they're racing at, whether that would be possible. That's true. I think some of them were a tight fit in that regard. Um, and I don't think you really want to go through lapped cars on street circuits if you can avoid it. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, 20's fine. I don't think anyone's ever going to complain about a 20-car grid. Um, I mean, I think all 10 teams that were in Season 1 have signed up for Season 2 already. Um, so that's great to see. Hopefully we'll see a couple of less driver changes as well. That would be quite nice because, I mean, look at the list now. 35 dri- different drivers took part in a race at least once this season. And I think I mean, only, I think only Takuma Sato and Justin Wilson did just the one. Um, so... I mean, I don't want to go through the list again because I'm going to end up putting my tongue in a knot. But yeah, 25 different drivers scored points. 35 took part, and there's only 20 cars. Bit it kind of makes a small mockery of the championship if you have, if you have different standings. Like I know, like Nextev were very guilty of this by having guys like Charles Peak, and then you know Oliver Turvey coming in for a round here and there, and it, yeah, it was a a little bit of a mess in that regard, but. I'm sure they'll work. I'm sure as the series goes on, they'll be more consistent next year. Um, I don't think we'll see 35 again next year. <laughs> I think. Um, so, you know, more consistently in that regard would be nice. You know, more people committing to Formula E full-time would be nice, like Nelson Piquet did. Like, he's, he announced he, he's, already, he's already signed up for next year, um, which is great. You know, we you know the series need, need to, need, it needs to establish names. And, you know, you're not going to do that if, keep, if people keep rotating. But on the whole, I think that was pretty good. There's still a couple of gimmicks I don't like. I don't like the Formula EJ, but it's really not a big deal. It's like, you know, oh, you know, I don't I, do, I don't wish for a cheap break dead mouse to be at my races. <laughs> but but you know, really not a big deal, you know, replay music people moaned about. Again, really not a big deal. Like seriously, you you like people actually complained about, "Oh, there's music during the replays." That's really an issue. I mean, it's not like you're missing <laughs> much sound to begin with. Yeah, it's like, these cars are not Formula 1 cars from the 90s, which you love so much. It's like, really not an issue. Formula EJ, not really an issue. It's a bit silly, but... Like, like again, the, the only thing that really, like, offended me about Formula E was probably the whole Formula E anthem thing. Besides that, everything was pretty ugh. fine. That was terrible. That was awful. I, I know Igag's a big music guy, and he made, he made that quite clear in his in his opening launch party. He said, you know, I want it to be a more a more of a festival atmosphere by having you know live music, live performances, and you know a big musical emphasis. No, you don't need that in a motorsport event. You don't. And you know, it's it's nice and all, but no. Like, but then again, I give them credit for trying to be different. And, 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 taking a different approach and you know it's things like that which will get shit done more yeah. unlikely you know and, and, and I'm never gonna have a go at them for at least trying something different even if it doesn't quite work out as well in practice but and the only other thing really from a presentation standpoint because the presentation did get better as the season went on um those big onboard dashes oh, when God. they talk about the speeds like th- th- that is a mess yeah, <laughs> like we've... you don't you don't need a target delta objective on the speed up infographics. You don't need that. You don't need the enormous thing. Like, that thing looked like something out of Doctor Who. You don't need that. Yeah, I mean, it, coming from me, like, I enjoy, like, minimalist design. As yeah. little on screen 
as possible is enjoyable. <laughs> like, just like how much battery they have left, whether they're on the throttle or not, and the same for the brake, and that will pretty much do. Yeah, like, that's fine. You, you don't need to overdo it in that regard. And, you know, again, only really a minor criticism. It's not It's not a game-breaker by any stretch of the imagination at all. Just a couple of little minor tweaks to make what, what I think was a fantastic first season even better. And, like, we sound like two bad school teachers nitpicking this so much because, really, it was a fantastic season. And don't yeah, let... Yeah. If, you, if you're listening, don't let our criticisms cloud your judgment. Yeah. It really was a fantastic season. You, like, consider it a great thing that... These are the biggest problems. Exactly. Like, this is, like, this is, like, if these are the issues, you've done pretty darn well, quite frankly. And I'd highly recommend if you have never seen Formidary or if you've been cynical about this series, give it a chance. You will be thoroughly entertained. Like, seriously, I've got my big Motorsport 50 list coming up at the end of the year. I've got a good hunch. I think at least six Formula E races will be in that top 50. So, seriously, if you check it out if you haven't already. There's a couple of real classics in there. Highly recommend Punta del Este. Was a, that was a very good race. Uruguay was fantastic. Argentina was great. Long Beach had some real draws. Miami had some real drama in there at the end. Berlin was a great race as well. There's a few belters in there, so definitely check them out if you haven't already. And, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to September and October in the start of Season 2. So that's it for Formula E this year. Congratulations again to Nelson Piquet being champion. Unlucky to Sebastian Buemi there, but hey, he's got a World Endurance Championship trophy to shine for a <laughs> fixed few months until somebody takes that off of him. But um, in the meantime, we'll take another quick break, and then we'll finish up with some IndyCar talk. had their latest round of the championship in Fontana and first of all my god like nobody showed up for this thing yep uh, attendance is reported to be just over 3,000 and in a venue that size it was definitely seemed completely empty I'm astonished by that I'm astonished that a, that a facility that can host 80,000 people has an attendance of 3,000, and I'm pretty darn sure IndyCar tickets are not wallet-busting by any stretch. No. 
Not at all. Like, I know they're cheap as hell. You can get paddock passes for, like, often for free. You can just mingle in the pit lane, talk to people. Like, IndyCar have always given props. It's a very open-door kind of experience. I know you were talking about this with Athletic on the finish line and how... You know, they're very, very fan-friendly in IndyCar. You know, you can get right up there. You can be on the grid, be in the paddock, be in the pit lane. Tickets are dirt cheap for the most part. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that real shame that only 3,000 people rolled up to this race. I'm very disappointed by that. And it's a shame because what these 3,000 fans did see was a classic. It was an absolutely ridiculous race. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's to- touting it as probably the best race since the start of this century christ <laughs> yeah people have it like um yeah that's pretty crazy yeah at first people were like oh this is the best not this is the best non indianapolis 500 race since the turn of the century then they're like actually i put it above some of the indianapolis 500 so far this year then it's like actually wa- re- watching it back okay it's the best race since the turn of the century <laughs> I can't think of a single-seater race that has been as good as that since the almighty holy grail that is Canada 2011, quite frankly, of F1 races. And this was utterly, utterly ridiculous. We had no cautions for 130 out of the 250 opening laps. We had four wides on many occasions where there was more lead changes in this race than any race in the history of the IndyCar series, which, again, is ridiculous when you put that into context. Um, During the second half, we had five wide at certain points. Honestly, I was watching with my head behind a pillow. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) It's like, what are you doing? Oh, my God. (laughs) And, of course, there was a catch to this. And there was a couple of really big incidents. Helio got away with one, really. He was clipped and kind of chopped by Will Power after a uh, side-by-side run, really, with Graham Rahal, who was right up the front. And uh, Helio didn't like it. He had to slow down. to, to uh, Basically, he got tired of Rahal's shit, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the way, as he was slowing down, Briscoe, I think it was Briscoe, and I think Power around the outside. They had to go free wide around him. And I think Power chop-blocked him a little bit there and then caught Helio. Helio spun out, and he was out of the race, um, really, with, 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 with damage, so to speak. He didn't really... Um, recover from there really and that was the, that was the first caution that was about 130 laps in <laughs> yeah. which is just ridiculous and it was and it was only a minor accident as well that caused that um the next big one i think was yeah it was it was carpenter taking out his own teammate joseph newgarden so cfh racing go from a one-two finish in toronto with newgarden and felipe to a double retirement caused by one of your drivers in the space of two rounds. I mean, talk about a dream to a nightmare, King. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that was re- <laughs> real quick. Uh, oh, I mean, eh, Carpenter seemed to really just, like, yeah, it was completely his fault, which is something you don't really see that much from Ed Carpenter, but he was like, yeah. No, Carpenter's normally good for these things, but he's an oval specialist, after all. Yeah, he basically said it was not his day, and it was real unfortunate. Yeah, um, just... Just didn't just didn't see Newgarden more than it, which is surprising. I know he, I know he was 
focusing on Montoya because he was in the battle with Montoya at the time, but he just didn't see Newgarden on his outside, and then Newgarden just had nowhere to go, poor guy. And uh, Newgarden goes from a race win to a 21st, which ironically is funny because he's finished 21st three times in the last four races. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of weird, just looking at, looking at it on Wikipedia, I was like, oh... How's that for correlation? <laughs> but I um, mean, yeah, that was that called that brought out another caution. After that, oh boy, <laughs> Takuma Sato loses it in the middle of a free wide with Scott Dixon and Will Power. Not now, Sato loses it, then collides with Power, and uh, Power's out, and then Power just lost his damn mind. Uh, I can't say I blame him, to be honest. No, I mean, Takuma Sato was hyper-aggressive all race long. Yeah, Takuma Sato was basically being Takuma Sato during this Grand Prix, and uh, yeah, like... I know I've made it when three people I follow on Twitter all tweeted, not now, Sato, when he hit power and took him out. It's like, it's, 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 the catchphrase is going viral. So uh, I'm very proud of that one, quite frankly. But yeah, Sato was being very, very aggressive all race long, and he paid the penalty for it on that one. And power was absolutely seething with rage to the point where he actually shoved one of the safety crew because he, he stopped him from getting into a fight with Takuma. I think there was going to be punches thrown if it wasn't for the safety crew intervening and and as Hinchcliffe quite rightly pointed out on Twitter watching the race it was like whatever you do you don't push a safety crew guy that's a dick move I know know you're angry but come on Will come on Will you can't be doing that he was fined $25,000 as a result for it and I know that's chump change to a top tier indie car driver but still you can't be doing shit like that come on now (laughs) like very very uh, petulant there for Mr. Power even though I do kind of understand why he did it he was very angry and I guess he he kind of had a right to be and (laughs) I I, I, I saw his post-race interview he was in interview during the race during the caution and and he was interviewed and he was saying what a what are we doing, man? What are we doing? <laughs> that was the funniest way. I was just going, like, what are we doing? <laughs> and, um, you know, he, he he mentioned the dreaded P word, which was pack racing, which uh, more on that in a bit. But uh, we had one more big caution right at the end. I think there was a, everyone's sprint came in for a, what was going to be a sprint finish of about, I think, 30 laps to go. Um, and again, more ridiculous two or three ride running. Ryan Briscoe was in a real good position to win the race. He was riding that low part of the track very, very well indeed. Just hanging on and hanging on and hanging on due to some biased British commentary in there as well. I was like, stay low, Briscoe, stay low. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we get it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really was staying very low pretty much the whole way through. Briscoe was trying to hold on there, but then he fell back a little bit. And then... Ryan Hunter Ray, who, of all times, Hunter Ray has been well documented. He's had a terrible frigging season. He's only had two, and he had three races inside the top ten this season. Only one result in the top five this season, and that was Alabama. But Hunter Ray lost it in the middle of the pack. He spun and collected Briscoe in a huge accident. Briscoe front flipping the car on the inside grass. Thankfully, both okay. Um, Briscoe was joking about it on Twitter like a half an hour after the race had finished. Um, and just, he actually came back to check out the, the crash scene. Um, so, yeah, that says a lot about, um, that says a lot about his situation. But, uh, yeah, a, a huge, huge accident that effectively ended the race. Um, a big, big crash at the end there. Um, uh, with I think it was three laps to go in the sprint finish, and uh, they finished under caution. Graham Rahal was given the win 
after um, he was leading into that lap where the caution flag came out ahead of uh, Tony Kanaan. And Marco Andretti, I think that's his first podium since the... Oh, actually, it was, it was it was Detroit. Yeah, Detroit race one. He finished in second, but before that was his last podium since the Indy 500 of 2013. So nice to see Marco back up the top. But um, yeah, just a ridiculous finish. Rahal maybe debatably shouldn't have even gotten that win, King. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was. I mean, it could have been anyone's race within the top five. To be honest, it was pretty much. Uh, pretty much. I mean, he did deserve it, but. It could have been any, anyone's race, let's be honest. Yeah, it could have been anyone's race, and what we're referring to more specifically is the pit stop that Ray Hall had, where, for some reason, the fuel guy filled her up, left, uh, put the fuel hose out, and then dipped it back in again, um, even though Ray Hall was already about to take off. It broke part of the fuel pump. That came off during the race itself, which caused a caution at one point, but technically that's a dangerous pit stop and often you get penalized for those in IndyCar but Rahal got away with it which was an intriguing call um, not sure why IndyCar let him get away with that one maybe because it wasn't really his fault maybe they took sympathy on him for that I don't know yeah. but uh, but yeah Rahal was given the win Yeah, no, no further action on that unsafe pit stop but, uh, yeah, giving you a quick rundown of the race real quick. Graham Rahal winning ahead of Tony Kanon in second. Uh, he last year's winner. Uh, Marco Andretti back on the podium in third. Um, led the most number of laps, I think. No, actually, it was Will Power led. He led 62 laps after that race, actually. He was very unlucky to have uh, taken him out there because he was right up there the front as well. Montoya, through all that carnage, was in fourth. And, uh, I made jokes about him two episodes ago. Talking about Sage Karam driving like a complete pillock around Detroit Race 2. So what does he do? He finishes in fifth. <laughs> His best result in IndyCar to date. And a superb performance from Sage. I'm just like, say it through gritted teeth. <laughs> well done, Sage. You get. <laughs> led five laps as well. The um, first time he led the, an IndyCar race um, since he joined from Indy Lights this season. So, yeah, well done, Sage. I've got to eat some humble pie on this one. Grrr. Scott Dixon in sixth. James Jakes in seventh, which was a nice surprise for Schmidt Peterson Motorsport. A nice little uh, token gesture after Briscoe's accident. Kimball in eighth. Uh, Simon Pagano, who the pole sitter in ninth, just hasn't quite gotten used to, to uh, pack racing just yet. I'm, I'm sure he'll get better with time. I'm pulling for you, Pagano. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're due a good result, like a really good result by now. Come on. And, uh,. Yeah, Britain's own Jack Hawksworth in 10th. I can't explain that. <laughs> Carlos Munoz in 11th. Stefano Coletti in 12th. Uh, Pippa Mann in 13th. Hooray for Pippa. We love her around here. So, yeah, well done, Pippa, for that one. Sebastian Bourdais in 14th. Um, Hunter Ray and Briscoe, 15th and 16th after their crash on the, uh, I think, the third to last lap there. Vortier in 17th. Takuma Sato, 18th. Willpower, 19th. Chavez, I think I um, was, I think, about 10 laps down, something like that. Um, 13 that plan actually Cavi Chavez in, in 20th ahead of New Garden and Carpenter also because of that contact and Ahilio at the bottom in 23rd but um, yeah the big talk after this race has been about pack racing King because obviously that race was very chaotic there was a lot of you know a lot of side by side running pretty much all race long 
Um, and a lot of drivers called it into question. I mean, I think Power was very much against the idea. He referenced Las Vegas 2011 where Dan Weldon lost his life. Um, Marco Andretti said it was pretty crazy. Um, Tony Kanaan said, you know, he was more on the, on the fence saying, well, it's a new aero kit this year. We're all getting used to it, you know. Where do you sit on the pack on the on the pack racing fence? Uh, I mean, this was yes, tech, it was pack racing, but it was the dangerous kind of pack racing, where you have these lines of cars side by side, but they're not really nose to tail, back to front with each other. There's there was large gaps between each of the lines. Mm, that, this this is true. It's like. Honestly, honestly, I'm new to IndyCar and I'm new to oval racing in general. I've only this is my first IndyCar season for those that haven't you know noticed this already, and um, I've never been a big NASCAR fan. I've never really watched older IndyCar races. I've never been really this, this was really my first experience of what in, in inverted commas pack racing could look like, and even on paper. The idea of, of like 15 cars running nose to tail sounds infinitely more dangerous given that these aero kits were designed to be able to run yeah. side by side. Yeah, and the situation where where you're running nose to tail, you can't move out the right way if an accident happens. It happens. Exactly. It's a stack, basically. Yeah, it's a stack. Well, in this situation, you could, you could slow down. You're still going to have the accident. You're still going to get collected, but you could slow down and number... Two, you're not going to get launched above the car in front of you. Yes, this is true as well. This is very true. But um, yeah, so this isn't the ultra dangerous kind of pack racing. But like, I know, a, I know a good friend of mine, a friend of the show, Leo Parente, was talking about this the other day. You know, you, you, you guys may know him from uh, the days of his of him being on YouTube of Drive and his and his show Shakedown, one of my personal favorites um, on YouTube, and a big inspiration for me and Dre TV, as a matter of fact. And he was talking about that. He mentioned he felt that NASCAR and IndyCar was playing a dangerous game with what happened, obviously last weekend in Fontana, and obviously. What happened a couple of nights ago um, over on NASCAR and Austin Dillon's hellacious crash against the catch fence towards the end of the um, the World Cup 400 in that race as well. So I don't think it's as extreme as that. I mean, I, I kind of have the impression as a new fan that this kind of thing is just inevitable when it comes to yeah. oval racing sometimes, as opposed to, oh, well, pack racing's got to stop. Well, how do you solve that by running on ovals? Like, it feels like that's like as a racing driver, that's kind of inevitable, right? Uh, I'd say both both situations, NASCAR and IndyCar, both pack racing like topics. But I'd say NASCAR is on a different boat here, where it's where the packs that we're now seeing in NASCAR are not like the packs. Before, like, it's always pack racing. It's never not going to be pack racing in NASCAR. But the fact that we're seeing basically 30 car packs of cars, three wide and 10 back, you never used to see that. That is, uh, you can't, when an accident happens in, like, one of the plate races in NASCAR, Daytona or Talladega, Mm -hmm. you don't know how they start. It's just a massive accident. You just, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's NASCAR. I mean, NASCAR is as famous for its crashes than anything else. So, I mean, yeah, I, I can imagine something like that happening, so to speak. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this whole thing is an overblown debate because we had a race that had a couple of big accidents. But I mean, 
they were all two car accidents, which is, you know, yeah. I'm going to assume if it was the more dangerous kind of pack racing we're talking about, it could have been a big multiple car accident, like in NASCAR. Yeah, you would see, like, a really bad IndyCar crashes would have, like, at least eight cars, eight up to 12 cars was, like, half the field. Right, that's the last thing, because, I, I mean, I was watching a video that um, my friend, uh, my brother actually showed me, talking about the top 10 NASCAR leader to wreck a crashes, and it was all... Similar kind of instances where, like, it was, it, it might start with two cars or a hit and a spin, and the next thing you know, there's like seven or eight cars in an enormous wreck. Um, and, you know, that didn't happen at Fontana. It was only two car incidents, really. And, you know, everybody walked out okay. I mean, Briscoe's looked particularly big, but again, he was perfectly fine. Um, you know, the car did its job at the end of the day. So, are we all overblowing this one a little bit? Uh,. Yeah, in the IndyCar sense, yes, they're overblowing it. It's something to look out for, but right now we're not at that level where it's overly dangerous. Right, I mean, no one's been seriously hurt. It's not like Las Vegas where there was a a tragic fatality, obviously, with Dan. But, I I mean, I, I saw that and I thought... My first thought when I was watching that race was, I don't see what the big deal is. And I feel like there's always going to be an element of danger when you're running cars next to each other at 200 plus miles an hour. That's inevitable. Shit will happen. You know, it's, yes. you know, it's, 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 it's human error. That's, that's, how the, that's how racing works. So for me, I didn't see what the big deal was really. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, my thoughts on this are, you know, at least resonate with you in the sense of the, uh, I, just, I, just didn't, I just didn't get the impression that, oh, this is dangerous. This, this has got to stop. I just, I just didn't get that from from watching that race um so yeah i'm glad and if you haven't seen it already the whole race is on indycar's youtube account go find it they're uploading every race from this season which is fantastic i told you about this before go watch fontana even if you're not an indycar fan i implore you to watch this because it will keep you on the edge of your seat for the better part of two and a half hours (laughs) i'm not even i'm not even joking it is a 9.5 on the dre scale of awesomeness and if nothing changes it'll probably be in my top three in the motorsport 50 so i'll be very surprised it'll, it's, it's the best single seat race i've watched this season in any discipline so yeah go watch it and you go watch it and thank me later and that will just about wrap up the show this time around grind where can we where can we find you in case you didn't know already uh you could find me at formula.nyc and on twitter at ryan eric king and to answer a question that you asked me at the beginning of the show, I looked up how much the Women's World Cup jerseys cost. Uh, both both cost ninety dollars. the The regular jerseys mm. and the jerseys in men in men's cuts. Um. So is that a bit too much for a birthday present, King? <laughs> yeah, that's a bit too much. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, look, man, look, 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 just think about it, you know, I'm your best friend, we're <laughs> podcast hosts, we can, we can, we can do side-by-side selfies in your Megan shirt and my Alex Morgan shirt, think about it, it's marketing, I'm gonna re-American, I've gotta have, I've gotta have a Team USA jersey, right? It's like, right? M- maybe if the price is lower at the start of next month. Don't worry, I'll hook you something up in exchange. Maybe, maybe I'll get you a Nico Rosberg mini helmet or something. <laughs> that could be that that could that can be our gift exchange. Okay. <laughs> 
We'll work something out. But uh, in the meantime, obviously, you can find me on Twitter at Harrison101HD, on YouTube at Harrison101, Facebook. You know where to find me if you're listening to this damn podcast already. And obviously on Harrison101.com, you can you can find us or on iTunes as well. Or just search for Harrison101. Or you can just search my name, Andre Harrison. It's in there as well. Um, if you haven't already, why not subscribe? And, you know, I automatically follow anybody on Twitter that sends a screenshot of them f- subscribe to the podcast. So, you know, if, if you really value me following you on Twitter as a presence, feel free to <laughs> To send your screenshots my way, um, which would be bloody cool. <laughs> it makes me feel better about myself. In the meantime, I've been Harrison101. He's been Ryan King. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. Bye.